Sound Words, Christian Magazine, Volumes 41-50. Republished by Irving Rich, host of Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. The Prophetic Word, William C. Reed. Part 2 of 4. We do not require human history to confirm the prophetic word. When God speaks we know for certain that his word will be accomplished. Often, in the scriptures, we have both the prophecy and the divine record of its accomplishment. When God promised Abraham that his seed would be like the stars that could not be numbered, he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them four hundred years, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Genesis chapter 15 verses 5, 13 to 16. From the divine record, in this book and in Exodus we learn of the fulfillment of the word spoken by God to Abraham. Moses was the instrument used of God to lead his people Israel out of Egypt, and Joshua to bring him into the promised land. Before Moses died, in the words of his song he prophesied the course that Israel would take, but also said, when the Most High divided to the nations therein, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob is the lot of his inheritance, Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 8 to 9. Scripture clearly traces the line of Israel's history, and it followed the line predicted. God had said to Moses, Behold thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up, and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, and will forsake me, and break my covenant which I have made with them. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 16. Because of their sins, God gave the ten tribes into the hand of the king of Assyria, who took them captive, and the two tribes he gave into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, who took them into Babylon. Many prophecies tell of Israel's restoration to their land, and speak of the time of peace and prosperity that will come to this poor, troubled earth in those days. Servants of the Lord have long called attention to these prophecies, and have also shown from the scriptures that Israel would be restored to the land as a nation before those days. The Lord Jesus gives instructions to the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, when he sends them forth to preach, but it is evident from his words that he contemplates not only the mission that was immediately before them but also the movements of his servants in the time of the end. In that chapter he foretells the persecutions that awaited his servants, and added, Ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel, till the Son of Man be come, verses 16-23. This testimony goes on till the coming of the Lord. Before the Lord comes, Jerusalem is surrounded by the armies of the nations, and broken into, Antichrist is the king in the land, and sets up the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Many of those who have returned to the land come under divine judgment at the Lord's coming, and when the Lord comes, it is as the deliverer of the godly remnant that he forewarns to flee. All these things show that Israel must be nationally restored in Palestine before Christ returns. What servants of the Lord in earlier years said would come, has come in our days. It was not exactly necessary that Israel should be restored as a nation before the rapture of the church to heaven but it was essential that they should be back in the land before the coming of the Lord to set up his kingdom. The prophecy of Isaiah chapter 18 is most illuminating and instructive in regard to Israel's national resurgence. From this scripture we learn that the present place as a nation in Palestine is not the work of God, it is not the fulfillment of the many prophecies of their recovery for divine blessing. 
Those who are now in the land owe their status as a nation to the intervention of the Gentiles on their behalf, and especially to one powerful nation. It is hardly necessary to say that without the help of the Western powers, Israel would not be a nation now. Nor could they hold out for long against their neighbors without the help of these same powerful nations. This resurgence has taken place in our days, and the prophecy of this chapter has been fulfilled before our eyes. The opening words of this interesting chapter are a call to a land, shadowing with wings. The first word of the call could be translated, ho, as it is in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1. And Zechariah chapter 2 verse 6. This prophetic call is to a land noted for its protecting influence, that uses its power in the defense of the weak. Covering them with its mighty pinions as a bird shelters its young beneath its wings. This powerful nation is not close to Palestine, it is beyond the rivers of Cush, that is outside the bounds of the Nile in the south, and the Euphrates in the north. The lands that were associated with the history of Israel before God's judgment fell upon them. It is therefore a country far off, that has not hitherto had to do with Israel as a nation, it is further described as being a great maritime power, possessed of a swift and powerful fleet. That sends its ambassadors over the sea, in its rapid moving vessels. Having been hailed with, ho, this nation is then commanded to go. It is sent to the aid of, a nation scattered and peeled, to a people terrible from their beginning and hitherto. A nation meted out and trodden down, whose land the rivers have spoiled. No one at all acquainted with the history of Israel will fail to see that this is a divine description of that nation. And of what has befallen them, on account of their sins. Egypt and the nations of Canaan, at the beginning of Israel's history, knew that they brought with them the terror of Jehovah, and so long as they remained in some measure with Jehovah. The nations around had good cause to fear the presence of the God of Israel, and his power that was put forth for their protection. For long they had been scattered, and they were peeled, that is without the protective covering. They had been dispersed and divided among the nations, who had trodden them underfoot. Their land was not, a land flowing with milk and honey, as it was when God brought them into it. It had been spoiled by the ravages of the nations that God had used to punish his corrupt and rebellious people. Under the shield of this protecting power, which responded to the call, a banner is lifted up on the mountains, of Israel, and, a trumpet is blown, in the Holy Land. This thing was not to be done in a corner, it was to be an event of international importance, for all the, inhabitants of the world and dwellers of the earth, are called upon to behold the ensign lifted up, and to hearken to the sounding of the trumpet. These events loudly proclaim the resurgence of Israel as a nation, and they have occurred in our days, we have seen the lifting up of the banner, and have certainly heard the sounding of the trumpet. Great Britain has been the protecting power which made it possible for Israel to take over the government of Palestine, although America has been largely responsible for the financial aid that has kept the new state in existence. But God would have us know that this national resurrection of Israel is not his work, for thus has Jehovah said unto me, I will take my rest. And I will observe from my dwelling place like clear heat upon herbs. Like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. This is not the resurrection of Israel from the valley of dry bones as prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 37. That will surely come, when God intervenes for the blessing of his earthly people. Meantime, he observes all that is being done for Israel, takes account of the apparent prosperity of the venture, and also of the influences that prevent its being brought to full fruition. Moreover, God, who knows the end from the beginning, and all the intervening details, discloses that Israel's blessing will not be secured through the efforts of friendly nations.
All their endeavors to procure peace and rest for them are foredoomed to disappointment, for before the harvest, when the blossoming is over, and the flower becomes a ripening grape. He shall both cut off the sprigs with pruning knives, and take away and cut down the branches. Prosperity appears to be on the way, for the national tree has blossomed. And the immature fruit seems to be ripening, but the anticipated harvest will not be reaped. God will intervene in his government, and bring to nothing that which Israel thought to accomplish in their own strength with the help of the powerful, friendly Gentile nations. Poor Israel will yet have to learn that God cannot allow him to have peace, rest or prosperity until they repent for the rejection and crucifixion of their Messiah. When Jesus came to them, offering to protect and bless them, they would not have him, but cast him out, crying to Pilate, his blood be on us, and on our children. Already. Many generations have suffered for that blood-guilty cry, and when they have drunk the full measure of the cup of God's righteous judgment, they will be brought back to the land for the blessings God has reserved for them, secured through the blood of Jesus. Not only will failure attend every effort to bring rest to Israel, but they will become a prey to their enemies, they shall be left together unto the fowls of the mountains, and to the beasts of the earth, and the fowls shall summer upon them, and all the beasts of the earth shall winter upon them. Even now, Israel are surrounded by hostile nations, who have made no secret of the desire and intention to destroy the nation, and take their land. Scripture makes it abundantly plain that Palestine will soon become the battleground of the nations. From Daniel chapter 11 verses 40 to 45 we learn that the Holy Land will be the cockpit for the conflicts between Egypt and the King of the North. Zechariah chapter 12 tells of the nations coming against Jerusalem, and Revelation chapter 16 verse 16 of their being gathered together at Armageddon. It will probably be at that time that the conflicting nations, spoken of as birds of prey and ravenous beasts will despoil Israel, consuming the produce of the land and taking away what they can find. But it is just as Israel plums the depths of suffering and trial that God intervenes on their behalf, even as recorded in the last verse of this chapter. In that time shall the present be brought unto Jehovah of hosts of a people scattered and peel. God's purposes for the blessing of his ancient people will assuredly be accomplished in spite of all the efforts of the nations to destroy them. How true are the words of Zechariah chapter 12 verse 3, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, all that burden themselves with it shall be cut to pieces. Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. The nations that have sought to help Israel have also found it to be a burdensome stone. But those who endeavor to destroy it will be cut to pieces. Israel will be brought by God himself to the place of the name of Jehovah of hosts, the Mount Zion, the hill of royal grace. They will then realize that the help of the powerful nations is vain, but that they have a resource in the God of Jacob, and in him who gave himself for them to bring them into blessing. God has not only unfolded his ways with Israel, but also with many other nations, especially those nations that have in some way or other become involved with Israel. Egypt's history has for long been bound up with Israel's, it is at the present time, and shall be at the end, and in the millennium. Egypt gave shelter to Israel in the time of their need, and also sheltered the Son of God when, as a babe, Herod sought his life. These things are not forgotten by God, and although Egypt, like Israel, will yet be punished for its sins, in the end it will be blessed. Isaiah chapter 19 gives us, the burden of Egypt, which unfolds prophetically its future. It may be that there has been a partial fulfillment of what God brings before us in this chapter, but the end of the chapter makes it abundantly plain that the future is in view.
God's hand in government is upon Egypt, and he is seen as riding upon a swift cloud, and coming into Egypt. It is not difficult to envisage a powerful army descending upon Egypt from the air, and completely discomforting them. Added to this there is civil war, their renowned wisdom deserts them, and they resort to consulting wicked spirits. A cruel ruler arises, a fierce king has dominion, and their sources of prosperity fail. It is not difficult to see how impoverished Egypt would become if the Suez Canal was blocked for a prolonged period, and if the Nile waters failed, either through drought, or by being withheld in the Sudan. Something of this nature is to take place for, they shall turn the rivers far away, and the brooks of defense shall be emptied and dried up, Isaiah chapter 19 verses 1 to 6. Their industries will be paralyzed, fishing, agriculture and textiles, and whatever else depends on them. Foolishness has replaced the wisdom of Egypt, a perverse spirit marks them, sent in God's government, as when Jehovah hardened Pharaoh's heart, confusion reigns instead of order, there is no work to be had. And fear possesses all because God's hand is against them, verses 7 to 16. The land of Judah, now inhabited by the revived nation of the Israelis, will terrorize Egypt, and, it would seem, possess or rule over five of their cities, for they will, speak the language of Canaan, and swear to the Lord of hosts. God's government will have its desired effect, for they shall cry unto the Lord, and he shall send them a savior. There will be a genuine acknowledgement of Jehovah, a divine preparation in their souls in view of the healing and blessing that awaits them, Isaiah chapter 19 verses 17 to 22. It may quite well be that these things will take place between the coming of the Lord for his saints and the coming of the Lord to establish his kingdom. But even as we have seen the fulfillment of the events prophesied in chapter 18, if the Lord tarry for a little, we may yet see something of what is in chapter 19 as well. Recent events have certainly shown us how quickly these predictions could be fulfilled. But we do not look for these things, we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself, Philippians chapter 3 verses 20 to 21. This may take place at any moment, it is for this we watch and wait. The closing verses of Isaiah chapter 19 bring us to the millennial kingdom of the Lord when the barriers between Egypt, Israel and Assyria will be replaced by a highway establishing communications between the three lands that have known so much of war. Blessing from the Lord will come to them in the special relationships in which they are to each other, a blessing in which Jehovah says, Blessed be Egypt my people, and Assyria the work of my hands. And Israel mine inheritance, verses 23 to 25. The old enmities will have departed, and under the reign of Christ the divine blessing will be enjoyed by all who submit to him.